0: Could
1: just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a Minute Without Parent, only in theaters May 17th.
0: Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. This is part two of a two-part series, so please tune in to part one so uh, this thing makes makes more sense. Anyway, we got Max Dahl on bed. it's It's
2: me, and my job in this intro is to welcome you into the content.
0: There's not much of a Tokyo to go back to. He can't uh, return home because the Soviet Union has taken over those uh, disputed islands in Hokkaido. And Kyoto was Japan's only metro center still standing. So that's where he sets up Kasuji Toy Works. Exactly. Just a few months after the war ends,
2: he does just that. Uh, He's able to find a space that's going to actually, you know, be enough for this operation. You know, it's kind of a a dream scenario. He actually rents uh, a former cattle shed, which if you can kind of picture a cattle shed. This isn't like a barn, right, Ben? This is more like a giant airplane hangar kind of situation where cattle, you know, are slaughtered and and kept.
0: Yeah, it's like a shack too. Like if you if you have ever taken a uh, a road trip through rural parts of the southeast or the Midwest, you see all those crumbling looking barns that that look like they're about to fall over, but they've looked like they're about to fall over for around eighty years or so. This thing is uh, planks of rough wood. There are gaps in the boards like you could see into it from outside. It probably still smells of cow, to be honest with you. Uh, there's probably still a little bit of manure there, but it is.
2: But la- And and large,
0: right? And large. It has the space. That's all he really needs. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, definitely some like,
2: you know, clumps of, of straw, that cow smell that you're describing, Ben. But. It was enough space for all of the gear that they needed to fit in there and the labor that they needed to uh, have, have room for. Uh, uh, you know, to, uh, he said it would it would do. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he said. So Kasuge is now unentangled from the military uh, and able to kind of go on with his life's mission. Uh, the question then becomes, uh, what? How, how do I appeal to kids who are traumatized by war? Right. Yeah.
0: This is something a lot of people think about, right? How does war impact an industry and how does it impact the people you're making things for, whether those are children or adults? Remember, this is the time when the instant noodle is invented. And it's entirely because the war has so fundamentally changed Japan. The answer, what can I do? what kind of toy would be appropriate for kids, comes on two fronts. First, he sees uh, the temporary barracks, the Bowako Hotel. GIs have been a familiar sight on these streets. And he goes, holy smokes, American Jeeps are everywhere. And the second part is, he's always loved cars. So the story goes, one day, Kasuji's walking home from the public bathhouse and he sees a Jeep parked on the street and nobody's in it. And he says, well, given the hour, whoever was driving it is likely, let's see, the way Matt Alt puts it is likely off scouting for female companionship in the nearby red light district. <laughs> scouting for female yeah, companionship. Yeah. And, and since, since there's no one in the car, though, Kasujay is able to get up close to the Jeep and really get a look at it. Exactly. So he does just that.
2: And this is maybe the kind of view that you wouldn't normally be able to get, you know, at at a military vehicle like this, because they're usually passing quite quickly. They don't really give tours. This was a big deal. Because typically, you know, when toy makers were going to make some sort of facsimile of, you know, something that exists in the real world, they would only be able to refer to images and like catalogs or like, you know, promotional stuff that the companies would put out, you know, to advertise for their products. In this case, Jeep. And he actually was able to get up there, get his, you know, nose right up against the glass and see what this thing was made of. Definitely you know for a military device like
0: this this is a a, a very rare opportunity yeah because they didn't have the uh <laughs> they didn't have a version of a catalog that would go out especially to the japanese public saying hey look at all these military vehicles up close so the guy doesn't—he he sees this golden opportunity, and it's not like he has a tape measure. He doesn't carry around the way Hideo Kojima does. Uh, he only has one thing to measure stuff with, and it's his bath towel from the bathhouse. So he gets real MacGyver with this. This is inspiring. He stretches out the towel, and he uses that to get the rough dimensions of the Jeep, and then runs back home before he forgets, draws a blueprint— and he keeps going back to find parked jeeps and repeating the process with his towel. Eventually, he's back in business almost. Because remember, he had to give over all his molds to the government and they also had no metal to work with. So he literally starts, uh, he cracks a deal with the US Army to take away part of their trash, empty food cans. Cool. So he's going to repurpose this? Uh-huh. He's taking the uh, soup cans and the beer cans, the bean cans, and he takes them back to his workshop, and he and his team clean them really hard. They cut them open. They run them through a press to flatten them. They pound them out by hand over these molds, and eventually they make little replicas of the U.S. Army Jeep. That is so cool, man. It's so. It's just so... Um... Uh, industrious. You know what
2: mm-hmm. I mean? Like, you know, given the situation he made the best of what he could. Uh, also, I want to point out that remember when he had to close his shop or at the very least rebrand it? And, and then I believe it was called custom fabrications or precision fabrication. It, it, when, when that when that uh, phrase passed through my head, it, it made me realize that like a lot of, you know, all this toy making and manufacturing stuff, that's what it is. It's just like precision Fabrication. It's the same type of ingenuity and equipment, in a lot of ways that would go into making, like, say, auto parts, you know, or things for construction, like building materials. But this is, it's made for kids to play with.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. And Japan's government also put some effort into promoting toy manufacturing as an industry to revive. It was kind of easy to get it up and running and partially. They were motivated because toys made a peaceful slash non-threatening image. This is 1946. You know, people are dying of malnutrition in the country. A lot of people just need food and shelter. And amid this chaos, the Japanese government passes a resolution urging everyone in the nation to give toys to children, which, again, I think is really cool. I, I think it's a cool policy. There's a lot behind it, of course but yeah I think it's I think it's a neat idea it, It's a PR move to be sure, sure. but it, I think
2: it's one that had that had legs you know certainly in, in a positive way. And also you know we've, we've talked in the past about how fascinating and just you know kind of an example of just like life finds a way you know it is that Japan emerged from uh, near annihilation to become this global superpower. You know, in, in tech, in in, uh, in electronics, in pop culture, in all of these things. It's almost like they the slate was white. You think about this almost like is the slate being wiped clean situation. But that's not the case, is it? We're learning here today with a lot of this stuff, this whole attitude, this kind of creative spirit – it was, it was in play long before, you know, the bomb dropped. And so then, you know, when the country kind of started to emphasize manufacturing, you know, to get back on its legs, the government, you had folks like Kasuge coming in and laying the groundwork for that innovation that we would see kind of really start to flourish like in the 80s and 90s.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. And this idea that toys can make a a serious impact, continues. And and Kasuge is a huge part of this. They are working toward the New Year holiday season, January 1946. It's the first time in like a decade that they've celebrated New Year's, not during a war. So it's pretty exciting. The first batch of these Jeeps goes on sale in December, just four months. After the close of World War II, they're 10 yen a pop. And that's the cost of, a you know, like a snack at a food market stall. So everybody can afford them. They don't have boxes at this time because guess what? Paper is also still in critically short supply. Oh, and he sells everything in an hour. He sells hundreds of Jeeps in like one hour. They're sold out.
2: No, no, not only did he make a product that was cool looking and functional and fun to play with, he capitalized on something that was, there was a need for that, like he knew kids would be interested in because he was interested in it, right? Like he was fascinated by it and, and to the point where he wanted to go and peer up through that window, maybe even, you know, at risk of being, you know, yelled at or getting in trouble uh, or worse. <laughs> um, it, it's just, you could tell that this is a person that kind of had that childlike kind of you know spirit and and therefore was able to kind of capture that and then
0: turn it into gold turn it into gold termination of the man yeah he scales up his operation he rents out more cattle sheds to get more workspace he hires more people to work with him and people needed jobs at this time and he even hires housewives to assemble toy parts in their homes so the citizens Here, working together, they make thousands and thousands more Jeeps for a department store, and because they're handmade, they don't have precision tools, no two groups of Jeeps were exactly the same, and they would gradually make replacements with each iteration, you know, adding maybe a little accessory, maybe replacing the internal mechanisms that made it a wind-up toy. Eventually, they do get boxes. They're Unbleached brown cardboard, and all it says on the box is Jeep with an exclamation point, uh point. Now, the word has always kind of felt to me like an exclamatory,
2: you know, thing, one might say.
0: Jeep, <laughs> right. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it's weird though, because I didn't think about this until our uh researcher associate Dr. Z pointed it out. Kazuke also gets free advertising mm-hmm. because. There are countless U.S. actual army Jeeps driving by, and each one of them becomes an advertisement for the toy he's selling. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes. You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers,
2: You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me?
0: <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited
2: talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month.
0: See Mint Mobile for details. So the toys don't just mean something to the kids. To adults, they also are representative of society coming back from the war, right? right? Like now I, I live in a place that is stable enough to make recreational products for kids.
2: Yeah, and I'll tell you who else was noticing, uh, not just the Japanese adults, but American adults who were still around. Um, Soldiers would buy up these tin replicas of the vehicles that they were driving around or flying around in real life uh, as souvenirs to take home. And, you know, it's actually I, I, I've actually got a couple of not not these military vehicles, but like 10 toys, Japanese tin toys, there's a real collector's market for that stuff. I'm sure you've seen plenty of that as well. But I've got like a little kind of a noise maker, like a, doo, doo, kind of one of those guys and like a little robot thing. Um, they're really, really neat. And there's tons of them to be found out in the world.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. These toys become a symbol then of bridges built between the U.S. and Japan. Oddly yep. enough, for at least U.S. soldiers and Japanese society, and you can see a 1946 um, photo essay, you could call it, in the Pacific edition of Stars and Stripes, where a Japanese boy and a young U.S. soldier are seen playing with tin jeeps on top of the hood of a real jeep. It's a good photo. Good, good photo op what they call that. Pop is R. definitely a word for it, as in propaganda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so apparently the key to the Jeep's success as a toy was the ambiguity of its message. A lot of Japanese grown-ups, if they didn't like this stuff, they didn't like that the toys were military vehicle toys you know, because it reminds you of the loss of World War II. At least that's according to Ichiro Tomiyama, who in 1924 founded a toy company, Tomiyama, now known as Tomy. And he said to Americans, it's different. These Jeeps are shining examples of military success. I knew they would sell abroad. And so in 1947, it seems like the rest of Japan agreed with this, and they said we're going to ramp up production of toys, not just for people in Japan, but to export. And this will be kind of collateral. This will be a way that we can help pay for food rations that are being imported.
2: Mm-hmm. Can we also just point out that, like, these these Jeeps and, and these these tin toys, they weren't clunky-looking, there was like detail work on them. Yeah. Like if you go, if you type in like Japanese tin toy vehicles, you can see everything from like a Ford Lincoln Futura to like a Cadillac sedan or like a Fairlane Skyliner, Chevy Bel Air. I mean, you know, this this phenomenon kind of went on past the period that we're talking about, but. All of them, even the earliest ones that were made from those discarded uh, tin food cans, there's precision involved with this. Oh, yeah. The detail work is, is remarkable.
0: Yeah. And the fact that they actually move too, you know, that people literally made this from improvised materials in a cow shed. Still, they would, the only condition that the Allied forces put on Japan with these toys when they're exported is they had to be marked clearly somewhere on the box with made in occupied Japan. Christmas is coming. It's 1947. America's got one of their own toy shortages because just like other countries, the toy manufacturers were asked to help out with the war effort. I say asked in very hard air quotes there. For any fans of toy trains... Uh, You'll be interested to note that Lionel, the toy train giant, had been forced to make its toys out of cardboard during the war years because there was no metal to be had. So, Japanese toy makers are super gassed to jump into the market gap there. Super gassed to jump into the gap. Why am I saying gassed? Oh, right, because they're selling toy cars, Mm -hmm. passenger cars, military vehicles. People love them. Tomiyama even starts building a uh, tin type B-29 bombers, which is, I think, maybe a little too soon. But they were selling them, selling them to the U.S. public. It's like, we're not mad. <laughs> Everything's fine. Look, <laughs> they're
2: cute. See? Yeah. I love uh, what what do we, we go back to what was one of his original prototypes the robot named Lilliput, you know, the idea oh, yeah. of like when you miniaturize something even if it's like a man, you know, uh or, or a machine man, it makes it less scary. there is something yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is something to that. But it still is is obviously a bit of a of a PR move to, to emphasize that, and I'm sure there was some prodding uh, and encouragement to kind of make some of these weapons of war, and um, that becomes that can become problematic, right? Especially to your point, Ben,
0: so close to you know such a horrific event as uh, as Hiroshima, a hundred percent, yeah. And the toy distributor Yonezawa Shokai displays this bomber at a 1951 toy fair in New York, and people immediately place orders for hundreds of thousands of these planes. They eventually sell close to a million toy B-29 bombers in the U.S. alone. And things like this are a huge part of why the tin toy industry blows up from 8 million yen per year in 1947 to 8 billion billion yen per year by 1955 and again the majority of these toys went to the west right because you know it's,
2: it's it's oh man i'm sorry that's a harp on this but it's like it is kind of interesting you know the comp the country that we destroyed uh, manufacturing little kind of keepsakes of our supremacy and then selling them back to
0: us it's kind of yeah, you can see the controversy, right? You can you can see why if you are a parent, you might not want your kid to be playing with this stuff, right? So let's get to the controversy. Yeah, um, it bubbles to the surface in 1951. An organization of teachers and various women's groups team up and launch a nationwide campaign and say, stop manufacturing military-themed toys. And the toy makers say, hey, look, we're not doing propaganda. We're just reflecting the world in which these children live. They see these jeeps, tanks, other military planes on a daily basis. They're part of daily life. So why should we pretend it's otherwise? Kusuji goes back to Tokyo in 1947, and he starts a design studio called Tokyo Zosaku Kogesha, or Tokyo Creative Arts, and It's really close to where his old pre-war factory is, or was, excuse me. And he wants to try to make new improvements, right? Uh, He wants to make a wind-up car that could sense the edge of a table before it falls off. He sells 10,000 of those. And then he thinks, okay, I get the controversy. I can't build Jeeps forever. I still love cars, though. So he ends up saying... Let's build a 1950 Cadillac sedan.
2: And the timing wasn't, like, awful. It was, it was, it was a little bit, uh, let's just say, um, opportunistic. But it, it was kind of peacetime. We weren't seeing U.S. soldiers uh, in the streets as often. You know, Japan now had its independence. There was this exciting kind of forward-thinking attitude, you know, of, of prosperity and, and the future. It was so bright that everyone was constantly wearing shades. It was it was a good time, essentially, and it was a g- opportune time, like I said, uh potentially not in the most positive of ways, to capitalize on this. You know, okay, well, now we don't have these things as a facet of our daily lives anymore. So let's, you know, kawaiify them, like you were saying, Ben, make them a little less scary and then sell them back to
0: the kids. hmm Yeah, yeah. And this makes sense right? turns out Kusuyé as the car man has hit two birds with one stone when he originally chose the deep. It was a symbol of American military might, but they were also tapping into that fascination you mentioned earlier, Noel, with passenger cars all around the world. And they knew that military aside, post-war America was also obsessed with cars. In 1950, there were 25 million registered cars in the U.S. Just eight years later, in 1958, that number more than doubled. Literally, and this is true, literally everyone wanted a Cadillac, even if it wasn't the real Cadillac. I'm sure there were a couple of guys who like hit on their girlfriends saying, hey, babe, I got you a Cadillac. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <And> it's, <laughs> technically, it's a Cadillac, just not the
2: one you can drive. It's funny. I think it was around the same period um, that, like, car you know miniaturization and stuff became really popular. Uh, my grandfather worked for like tobacco companies and stuff, and so he had all these kind of you know tobacco adjacent sort of luxury goods items that uh-huh. he was gifted. And uh, I, when he passed away, uh, my aunt pulled this out of his storage for me. It's a like a giant like Fairlane type vehicle, and it inside of it is hidden a bottle of Jim Beam whiskey. In order to get the whiskey out, you got to take like the trunk cover off and then the little me, spout yeah. is right. It's really weird and interesting. And I'm, I have no idea the quality remaining in that whiskey, but I have it on my little bar cart and it's super cool. Makes me kind of want to seek some of this stuff out because it is it is so cool. And
0: it could be potentially, though, a real rabbit hole in a money pit, though. I could tell you Oh, that right I'm now. sure. Yeah, I pulled up eBay just to poke around a little bit. Uh, last week when we we were working on this one and yeah it could be a rabbit hole and it was back in the 50s too
1: Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
0: This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? At the outbreak of the Korean War in 1950, the U.S. government sent $3 billion worth of orders to Japan for um, production and transport of wartime materials to the Korean Peninsula, stuff like rope, wire, food, ammo, and they even had some Japanese-built copies of American Jeeps. This was... Terrible. The Korean Wars it was a terrible conflict as well, which still hasn't officially ended between North Korea and South Korea to this day. They've just got a ceasefire, but this was a huge economic opportunity for Japan. Also, these Japanese firms started building a lot of factories, like Mad. They needed to build all sorts of transport infrastructure to satisfy, like, to make good on these military orders. And as one ambassador put it in 1952, Japan became, quote, one huge supply depot without which the Korean War could not have been fought. And now that these things are happening, now that the foundries are restarted, now that there's high quality domestic steel being produced, you don't have to go through the trash heaps for tin cans.
2: But it, it, it's it's that kind of ingenuity. Mean, I keep using the word ingenuity, and I'm sorry if it's like a broken record. It reminds me of like what the Coca-Cola company did during um, World War II uh, in Germany. They used apple scraps, you know, to make Fanta. Uh, that that uh, you know that and eventually was turned into a, an orange drink. But at the time, it was like a replacement for Coca-Cola. And then you know, once wartime kind of settled out and all that, so they didn't have to use apple scraps anymore. But at the time, they saw a niche, they filled it, and they were able to to use what was available to them at the time. Uh, and I just I always love seeing examples of that from throughout history.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is where, after surviving so many harrowing things, Kusuje is able to make his make his ideal toys because now they have the. All the stuff they need, gears, springs, precision, components. They can upgrade everything. They don't have to MacGyver it anymore. They spent a year refining every aspect of manufacturing, from the sculpting to the molds, all the details. And at the end, they came up with this Cadillac, 13 inches long, absolutely perfect to scale. It has all this uh, fancy lacquer paint. It's got Chrome, you know, they, they put a lot of effort into this and texture you, on the upholstery, yeah, you know. Yeah, things yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Just so. Now that I'm we're talking about this, it's almost like whenever we do a show about food, I end up wanting whatever food we're talking about. Same, dude. I'm trying I'm, to talk myself of out of yeah, I know we can vote, and now the, the rest of our day is gonna be us going, Maybe I do need a little tin. Cadillac. <laughs> I mean, at the very least, there probably
2: are replicas, you know, because these are easier to mass produce now than, than at the time, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily need a vintage one, but I think I want something that represents this, uh, this educational journey that we've gone on, because I'll tell you, a lot of this stuff, you know, I kind of knew in the back of my mind just about this history in Japan, of this kind of just, you know, um, super creative kind of, you know, attitude uh, that really carried forward into all the things that we, I think, you know, contemporarily love about Japanese culture. But it really gave me a deeper understanding, you know, of the groundwork that was laid, that led to the Nintendos and, and, and uh-huh. Pokemons and manga and anime of the world, you know. I mean, so much stuff that happened in that country, not to mention the ancient, you know, history of the culture mm. that, as we discussed early on, still always kind of had that aesthetic twist to it. You know, things like uh, the, the the art of flower arrangement, ikebana, and all of those kinds of things. It's always been this incredible, you know, organized kind of beauty to to Japanese culture. And I think this really kind of Took it into the modern age a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Japanese mech toys, the model kits you can exactly. assemble. I I get those. I put them together. Actually, I have a couple. Do you over paint here. them as well? That's one thing I didn't realize. Is a lot of those kits
2: you got to paint them.
0: Yeah, I don't do the painted ones. Maybe one day. Uh, it's just it. It's a cool hobby to have. What what you guys will love traveling Japan, and anybody who has visited um, knows is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. No, Max, there are these things called Gachapon machines, these mini vending machines. You put in some Yen, and they give you a small toy. Uh, It comes out in a little sphere. It's about—I yeah. don't know why I'm doing this on an audio podcast. Just say Uh, yay.
2: Everyone knows what yay means. Palm-sized sphere,
0: and and you can get all sorts of cool stuff every time uh, I visited Japan— we hit up at least one Gachapon place. I don't know the economics. I don't know how they work. It's like there's not a front door. It's twenty four seven. There's just row after row of these coin operated Gachapon machines. They're addictive. I'm just are saying, they
2: in an arcade setting or is they can be their own they're thing. in arcades too. Okay, yeah.
0: sometimes they're their own thing. It's weird, man. It's like uh, the U.S. doesn't have something that's the equivalent Mm -hmm. of that you know uh, on a
2: flight recently ben we had kind of a run of travel lately i rewatched for the first time in years uh the sofia coppola movie lost in translation oh yeah yeah. and that was a film that you know really it it showed a lot of that stuff like a lot of the arcades and a lot of the kind of like you know interesting features maybe you know maybe to some that have spent time there they'd be like oh i roll this is all just kind of like maybe uh what's the word like exoticize i don't think it does do that though i would argue i think That mm-hmm. film uh, has a very interesting kind of painterly view uh, where you're kind of the outsider experiencing the, that culture. And uh, it really, really did between that while rewatching that film, how much I loved that when I was younger and then hearing your stories about your travels really made me want to go. Um, so I hope to, we'll to achieve that. Let's go together, man. Let's, yeah, let's do it. Let's, a, let's make a you road trip of it. Oh yeah, I'm one hundred percent in. That sounds such a plan for okay. me. Okay, drive. We can drive there together in our tiny fair
0: lane. Yeah, catch, catch though to get across the ocean. We'll go in a hot air balloon. Hell yeah! <laughs> what? <laughs> I like the switch. So this is okay. Been- okay, wait, one to
2: fan <laughs> together on an adventure, Wizard of Oz style. I will. I will jump in a that. hot air balloon. I'll I like do it. that. I'll do I
0: like it. that. There's a. You know, it has to be worth it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that, and we hope that you enjoyed this. We wanted to dedicate the week to this story because it, it is longer, but it ends in inspiration. After it goes through so many ups and downs, uh, we thought this was going to be a great two-parter.
2: First and foremost, inspirationally speaking, uh, Japanese is number one. They finally did surpass right. Germany, right? yes. Yeah, like by a by a margin of of, of of quite a lot. You know, again, we do still see some German toys and obviously Legos are based in Denmark. So, I mean, you know, we, we that's a biggie, obviously. But yeah, ch- Japanese toys, massive, massive, massive um, industry.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's how you know you made it if uh, you become a Japanese action figure. Or if there's mm-hmm. a tin-type Japanese toy made in your likeness, and we have so many people to thank for this, definitely want to thank our research associate, uh, Dr. Zach, who has been uh, noodling over this for quite some time, and of ah. course, uh, of course, thanks to the uh, the toy maker himself, Super Producer Max Williams. Yeah, and just wanted to add, like, we,
2: we, we, there's so much in here um, that we we've kind of already brushed over, but I do just want to add that you know, speaking of pop cultural impact, uh, these toys in particular even served as inspiration for some massively popular American culture, like uh, a 1955 Ford Lincoln Futura um, that we that I mentioned earlier. Looking at some of like the rare kind of vintage Japanese tin toys, one of those the toy served as the model for the Batman Mobile in the 1966 uh, Batman TV series. So boom, bap, zip, pow. Uh, and thanks again, Dr. Z, for this incredible journey.
0: Thanks as well to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed this Slap and Bop. Uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Oh, boy. Uh, I, You know,
2: thank you, Ben. I think we are both um, equally into this stuff, and it was really fun to nerd out with you about Japanese toys.
0: And thank you, Nolan. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. This is how much we like this story. We got up early to do it.
2: Oh, yeah. It's just, we sound a little punchy. That's why. <laughs> but I think it was fun.
0: Max is hitting his forehead like, guys, 9 a.m. is not early.
2: No, it's not early. But you did uh, make the, the calendar invite say, ridiculous history at the crack of dawn or something like that. So those are your words, Max, not ours. Yep, those are my exact words. Also, where we're recording at is the Morning Time Riverside Cafe, a.k.a. the same place as always. Love
1: it. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio,
2: visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: to getting what you want is always the hardest people give up right before they get what they have always wanted to get listen to on purpose with jay shetty on the iheart radio app apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts
0: the therapy for black girls podcast is your space to explore mental health personal development and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves i'm your host dr joy harden bradford a licensed psychologist in atlanta georgia and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or
1: wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
2: MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season, and so are we. I'm Tori Deal, and I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys! All
1: Stars Four is finally here,
2: and this season takes it to a whole new level.